welcome back to Weird on the Rocks. This is a podcast that explores the weird, unusual, strange, and unexplained, all while getting our drink on. I'm your host, Katie. First and foremost, I apologize if my voice is a little deeper and raspier today, if that's even possible. Um, I'm having some weird allergies right now, and my voice is kind of going. So hopefully the warm beverage I'm drinking will um, help that out. But my apologies if I sound a little funky today. Also, there's a football game happening at the park by my house. And although there are woods separating my house and the park, um, the football game sounds like it's in my backyard. So I apologize if you can hear any whistles or anything. I was going to try and wait till the football was over, but it's 7 p.m. and it's been going on since 8 a.m. this morning. So I'm not sure when it's going to be done. So sorry if you can hear any weird shit going on in the background tonight. All right, so I'm really excited about today's episode. It's going to be a really fun one. I'm going to be discussing some conspiracies surrounding the Titanic. And yes, you're probably thinking, what the hell? There are conspiracies about the Titanic. You've got to be kidding me. But with conspiracies, there is truly nothing off limits, my friends. There are even conspiracies about the Titanic. And I never knew this was a thing either until I really got into podcasts a couple years ago. And a few of my favorite shows, um, I know Generation Y and the Mile Higher podcast are two of my favorites that have covered this. And my mind was just blown. I just found it really interesting. So even if you think these conspiracies are complete nonsense and they're stupid, I hope you can at least find them entertaining and you can keep an open mind. Before we get going, I want to share another podcast with you guys that I think you'll like. And this one is Three Spooked Girls. This show is another one of my favorites and it's a regular in my podcast cycle. It's hosted by Tara and Jessica and they cover all things spooky and creepy creepy, including true crime and paranormal stories. So let's listen to their trailer. Hey guys, my name is Tara. And my name is Jessica. And together we co-host the podcast, Three Spooked Girls. If you love the paranormal. Or murder. Join us every Monday as we tell our listeners about a new spooky tale or true crime case. We'll have a special drink recipe each episode picked out by me. For you to enjoy while we scare the hell out of you. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Podbean, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever the hell else you listen to podcasts. Come hang out with us and get your spooky on. You guys should definitely go check out Three Spooked Girls. If you like my show, you will definitely like theirs. We're pretty similar and they're really funny. They have really good banter back and forth between the two of them. And it's just a really fun and well put together show. And as always, you can find my show on Facebook and Instagram at Weird on the Rocks Podcast, on Twitter at Weird underscore Rocks, and the website weirdontherocks.weebly.com. Please rate and review and subscribe wherever you're listening now. Before we get into the good stuff, I want to quickly share this week's beverage of choice. Tonight, I am drinking some hot apple cider spiked with brandy. Um, I chose this because brandy was a very popular drink of choice in 1912. The Titanic had about a thousand bottles of booze on board and about a quarter of those were bottles of brandy. I also thought this was the perfect drink for tonight because it's starting to get a little cold here in Northern California. It's been raining on and 
and off all day. And like I said, my voice is a little funky. So I thought this hot beverage would just be perfect. And I remember in the Titanic movie, the men are always saying, fetch me a brandy. Let's go have a brandy. So um, I just thought this was perfect. All right, cheers. And let's get weird. Like me, most of you probably first heard of the Titanic from the 1997 James Cameron movie, which I saw four times in the theaters, and it's honestly still one of my favorite movies. I actually watched it last week to get me in the zone for writing this episode. And although the movie was a dramatization and the characters Rose and Jack are fictional, the movie definitely did get some things right and included some real characters. The movie also really drew a attention to this tragedy that otherwise probably would have been long forgotten. Today, I'm going to discuss the two most believable conspiracies surrounding the Titanic, even though there are more, including the theory that a cursed Egyptian mummy was on board, but you can research that one on your own time. And I want to start off by describing the Titanic itself and its history a little bit before we get into the juicy conspiracy stuff. So the RMS Titanic was a British passenger liner owned by the White Star Line. The ship was carrying some of the world's wealthiest people, as well as many immigrants from Great Britain, Ireland, and Scandinavia. The ship was considered the pinnacle of wealth and class, with first-class parlor suite tickets costing $50,000 in today's money. And this is where Rose and her family stayed in the movie. And third-class passengers, Jack Dawson from the movie, paid around $150 in today's money for a very simple small room with bunk beds. About a year before the Titanic set sail, J.P. Morgan, an extremely wealthy and powerful American banker whose family now owns Chase Bank, he bought the White Star Line from Thomas Ismay. Thomas Ismay's son, Bruce, remained the CEO of the company and worked closely with J.P. Morgan on the design of the Titanic. The White Star Line, now under the ownership of J.P. Morgan, felt pressure from competing ship lines to create the biggest, fastest, and most luxurious ship the world had ever seen. The word Titanic itself comes from the Titans of Greek mythology, who were the most powerful of gods, and the ship was often called unsinkable. But during its maiden voyage from Southampton, England to New York City, the Titanic struck an iceberg on April 14, 1912 at 11.40 p.m. Within just two hours, the ship measuring 882 feet long and weighing 52,000 tons sunk. 1,500 people lost their lives, most of them men, due to the ship's protocol that women and children board the lifeboats first. Of course, the news of the ship sinking sent shock throughout the world. Many were horrified to imagine these people, especially some of the world's most elite, dying in such a tragic and inhumane way. The sinking of the ship also brought overdue attention to some old maritime laws, and many safety precautions were updated after the sinking. Okay, so now that we know some background on the ship, I'm going to get into the different conspiracies surrounding the Titanic. The first of which has to do with insurance money. 
This theory was first presented by author Robin Gardner in his 1998 book titled Titanic, The Ship That Never Sank. Gardner proposed that it wasn't the Titanic that actually sank, but that it was its sister ship, the Olympic. The Olympic was the older sister of the Titanic, which was completed just two years before in 1910. The two ships were almost identical, except for a few minor differences, such as the number of portholes on the sea decks of the ships. In fact, the two ships were so similar that photos of the Olympic were used in advertisements for the Titanic because it wasn't done being built yet. On September 20th, 1911, the Olympic collided with Royal Navy warship HMS Hawk in the channel near Southampton, England. This crash caused significant damage to the Olympic, causing a permanent list to port, meaning that the ship had a permanent tilt, and the Olympic was found at fault for the collision. Lloyds of London, who were the insurers for the White Star Line, refused to pay out the insurance claim for the Olympic since it was at fault for the crash. The repairs to the Olympic would be extensive and was going to push back the departure of the Titanic, which had already been postponed once. Between the repairs to the Olympic and the postponement of the Titanic, the White Star Line was going to lose a lot of money. And this is where Gardner's theory comes into play. He believes that in order for the White Star Line to be making some money and not go under, they decided to switch the Olympic for the Titanic and purposely sink it. This means that the Titanic would set sail for New York under the name Titanic, making its passengers think that they were on a brand new ship, while the actual Titanic would secretly be completed and then would pretend to be the Olympic. Passengers of the Olympic would believe it was newly repaired after its collision, when in reality, it was a brand new ship. The White Star Line would be able to collect the insurance money from the sinking of the Titanic because they wouldn't be found at fault for hitting an iceberg. And and they would also be making money from the actual Titanic, now called the Olympic, which could still go out on voyages. So this could be a little confusing, and I'm going to use a metaphor from the podcast Generation Y and what they use to make this a little bit more understandable. So pretend that you have two cars that are exactly the same. Say you have two black BMWs. You're driving one one day and you get into a crash and it was your fault and the insurance isn't going to give you money for it, but your car needs a lot of work done and you can't drive it. So you take your other BMW and you switch the two license plates and VIN numbers. You go and crash it and pretend that it was an accident or set something up where someone runs into you. Then you say it was the other car that had been in the previous accident and you get it covered by your insurance. And as crazy as this sounds, there are people out in the world that still to this day do things like this and commit insurance fraud. Now, as crazy as this theory sounds, there are actually numerous details that have come out since the Titanic sinking that support this theory. And there are also many details that debunk this theory. So I'm going to lay out all the information as best as I can and let you guys decide what you think is true. Many of the surviving passengers aboard the Titanic said that it had a list to port or a noticeable tilt to it. Survivor Lawrence Beasley wrote in his book, The Loss of the SS Titanic, and said, quote, I then called the attention of our table to the way the Titanic listed to port. I had noticed this before, and we watched the skyline through the portholes as we sat at the table in the saloon, end quote. A brand new ship like the Titanic would not have a tilt to it, but the Olympic that was just in a crash 
wood. Several survivors also recalled that they found it odd that nothing on the ship bore the name Titanic. Usually on ships of this caliber, items such as the life jackets would say the name of the ship when most of the items aboard the Titanic only said White Star Line. Although this could be due to the fact that the Titanic was behind schedule and trying to save money. Also, ships at this time had their names carved into the side of the boat and it was filled in with paint. The Titanic instead only had its name drilled into the side with studs, something that could have been put over top the painted name of Olympic. However, many people have been down to the ocean floor since the sinking of the Titanic and have recovered artifacts and pieces of the ship itself, which challenges this theory. Back in this time, ships were built in different yards, and each yard had a number so that workers knew where the parts needed to be sent. The Titanic was built in the 401 yard, and all the pieces of the ship that have been recovered do indeed have the number 401 on them, not the number 400 where the Olympic was built. You think that if these two ships were switched, that something with the number 400 on it would have been found. There are also some questions about the lifeboats on board. Supposedly, there was to be a lifeboat drill done the morning of the crash, where the crew would instruct passengers what to do in case of emergency. However, the drill was canceled by the captain for unknown reasons and there were also only half of the lifeboats on board for the amount of passengers. As I stated before, the White Star Line felt pressure from their competitors to create the most luxurious, well-built ship, which also included wanting to prove how fast and efficient it was. In fact, captain of the Titanic, Edward John Smith, was ordered by J.P. Morgan and the White Star Line CEO, Bruce Ismay, to try and get the ship to New York in record time. This meant the ship was being pushed to the limits, and in fact, when it hit the iceberg, it was traveling at a speed of 22.5 knots, just a half a knot away from the maximum speed of 23 knots. There is also information online that claims that the ship had already received six iceberg warnings prior to the crash that night, which were not taken seriously due to the fact they were trying to break this record. However, believers of this conspiracy theory believe that they weren't really trying to break a record at all, and the captain and Bruce Ismay were only told that so they would push the ship to its limits and up the chances of something bad happening. Some believe that the plan was to purposely crash the Titanic into an iceberg and purposely not close the watertight doors quickly enough, allowing too much water to get in and others believe the original plan was just to push the broken ship to its limits until it broke on its own, and that hitting the iceberg was just luck for them, because it sped up this process. And this brings me to a fairly new and startling discovery about the Titanic, or the Olympic, whichever ship really sunk that night. In 2011, historian David Smith was conducting research for his book, The Titanic's Mummy, when a picture of the ship on the day of its launch caught his attention. In this photo, he could see that the lower front portion of the ship, where a coal bunker would be, appeared to be darker in color than the rest of the ship. Through communication with other historians, they discovered that there was a fire in the coal bunker that had been burning for 10 days prior to the launch of the ship and was actually still burning as people were boarding. In fact, they don't know how long this fire kept burning for and it could have still been going when the ship hit the iceberg. Apparently, fires in the coal bunkers were somewhat common, but the fires would be put out before the ship set sail. However, due to the fact that the departure for Titanic had already been postponed once, 
White Star Line didn't want to do this again and instead set sail without alerting the passengers to the fire burning below them. Some experts believe this fire would have badly damaged the structural integrity of the ship, warping the iron and making it weaker. Many people also believe that this burning fire was part of the conspiracy. Many think that the fire was either started on purpose or was purposely not extinguished so that the ship would be weaker and therefore more susceptible to damage. In fact, when the Titanic began to sink, they put out an SOS call to any nearby ships. The Californian was the last ship in communication with the Titanic before it hit the iceberg and was the closest, but then it failed to return their distress calls or respond to their flares. Many believe that the Californian was actually aware of the Titanic's plan and was waiting for their distress calls and they would come over to the Titanic and safely take their passengers aboard before it sank. But the distress calls came earlier than they had anticipated and therefore they ignored them thinking it was a drill of some sort. The Titanic ended up sinking much faster than anticipated in only two hours versus the four hours that was estimated. As the Californian sat idly by, the next closest ship was the Carpathia, which did respond to the distress calls, but did not arrive to the scene until 6 a.m., four hours after the sinking of the ship. The Carpathia arrived to find 700 people in lifeboats and 1,500 people floating dead in the water from hypothermia. If the Californian, which was much closer, would have responded quickly, they most likely would have got there fast enough to save many more people. Only one lifeboat returned to the scene to find survivors, and out of 1,500 people in the water, nobody's exactly sure how many were saved, but most experts say it was between four to six people, all of whom were able to support themselves on some type of debris out of the water. One of the people saved from the icy waters was Charles Yogan, one of the ship's bakers, who claimed he survived by being very drunk and therefore insulated from the freezing temperatures. After all was said and done, the White Star Line was paid out $10 million by Lloyd's of London, the insurers of the Titanic, which was comprised of a thousand individual maritime insurance writers. On the Lloyd's of London site, it states that, quote, From Lloyd's perspective, the Titanic will long be remembered as one of the market's biggest losses alongside major natural and man-made catastrophes, such as the loss of HMS Lutine in 1799, the 1906 San Francisco earthquake, and more recently, 9-11, Hurricane Katrina, and the Japanese earthquake and tsunami of 2011, end quote. Survivors and families of the victims of the Titanic did sue the White Star Line in both the U.S. and Britain, but the Titanic's liability was protected under an 1851 law that stated, quote, In cases of unavoidable accidents, the company was not liable for any loss of life, property, or injury. If the captain and crew made an error that led to a disaster, but the company was unaware of it, the company's liability was limited to the total of passenger fares, the amount paid for cargo, and any salvaged materials recovered from the wreck, end quote. In other words, the court needed to see evidence that Captain Smith was negligent and that the White Star Line knew of his negligence. 
Survivors used the fact that the ship had received six ice warnings but kept going at full speed on its original course with a limited number of lookouts as their proof. They also added in the fact that the lifeboat drill had been canceled and therefore the crew was not properly trained for the situation and the fact that White Star Line CEO Bruce Ismay was on board and he got into a lifeboat without helping. Eventually, it was settled out of court and by most accounts that I could find, White Star Line ended up paying about $664,000 divided between all of the claimants. And the second and much shorter conspiracy theory I'm going to discuss points directly to J.P. Morgan. Morgan was a very powerful and wealthy businessman who had his hand in banking and the railroad industry. He had the nickname Napoleon of Wall Street and helped create General Electric. He died in 1913, just a year after Titanic sank, with a net worth of around $100 million, which would now be $49 billion. In 1912, at the time of the Titanic's launch, Morgan was in the midst of creating the Federal Reserve Bank. The Federal Reserve is the United States central banking system, which creates monetary policies, regulates banks, acts as the government's bank, and controls things such as housing interest rates. Contrary to popular belief, the Federal Reserve is privately owned and is not ran by the United States government. Although the Federal Reserve's job and the reason for its creation was to keep the economy and financial system stable, many were and are still very opposed to it, believing that our money should not be managed in a private sector. Among those in opposition to the Federal Reserve being created were some of the world's wealthiest men, John Jacob Astor, Benjamin Guggenheimen, and Isidore Strauss. And all three of them were on the Titanic, and all three of them died. In fact, Benjamin Guggenheim helped women and children onto lifeboats and then returned to the master staircase inside the ship. He put a rose in his suit's buttonhole, took a seat, and said, We've dressed up in our best and are prepared to go down like gentlemen. Many believe that J.P. Morgan purposely sunk the Titanic in order to get rid of these three powerful men and to clear the way to the creation of the Federal Reserve. In fact, J.P. Morgan was set to board the Titanic but canceled the night before it set sail, claiming to be sick, even though the ship was equipped with multiple doctors. The day after Titanic's launch, J.P. Morgan was seen in London with his mistress, eating lunch and buying expensive tapestries, not at home sick. J.P. Morgan was also close friends with Milton Hershey of Hershey Chocolate, who also planned on boarding the Titanic, but also canceled last minute. Many speculate that Morgan tipped him off to his plan. However, many question this theory because there was no way J.P. Morgan could have specifically targeted those men. How did he know they would die in the sinking? Many of first-class men did survive the tragic accident. It definitely seems far-fetched and something he could have done more simply and discreetly without having to kill thousands of innocent people on the way. So now I'm going to briefly talk about what I think of these conspiracy theories. Honestly, the theory about the switching of the ships has really got me thinking the last few days as I've been researching it. And I'm not going to say I believe it, but I'm not really going to dismiss this one either. There are just some really strange details in this story that definitely make me question the truth, which I think is the whole point of conspiracy theories. You also have to remember that when this happened, it was a different time. Insurance scams, fraud, and identity theft was really rampant, and there wasn't a lot of repercussions for these types of crimes. People were pretty much 
much responsible for their own money and belongings, and it was much easier to lose and steal important documents and things like that. And honestly, people are still to this day doing things like this. Like the metaphor I said earlier for the two cars, People do stuff like that all the time. They purposely wreck their cars, damage things, and I'm not saying that's right, but it definitely happens in our society, and I think it happened even more back in the time of the Titanic. And honestly, I can totally see these big, fat, white, whiskey-drinking businessmen plotting and scheming something up in order to get a big payday. However, the main thing that does make me want to dismiss this theory is the fact that nobody has ever came forward to speak up about either of these theories. Although all the survivors are long gone, you would think that someone eventually would admit to what they did or, you know, a great-grandchild or someone would speak up about knowing a family secret about the Titanic, but nothing has ever officially came out about these plans. I don't know, it just it just seems like someone would have come forward by now. But if this really did happen and the Titanic was sunk on purpose for whatever reason, it would be one of the biggest and most tragic hoaxes of all time. Imagine being JP Morgan and coming up with the plan of switching the ships, thinking the people were going to be saved in time by the Californian, and then this happens. I can't imagine the weight that would carry on your conscience. I mean, Morgan only lived one more year after this and he died of natural causes, but maybe the guilt and stress of killing all these people got to him. Really, I just don't know about this one. Since the movie came out in 1997, I've been so intrigued with the Titanic and I've read several books about it over the years and this episode just really got me back down that rabbit hole. I found old insurance documents and itemized lists of things survivors said they lost in the sinking. Molly Brown, who was a passenger on the Titanic and was called the unsinkable Molly Brown and survived the accident, has a very elaborate list of her items she claimed she lost, including a $20,000 pink diamond necklace. And I'll post her list on my Facebook and Instagram for you guys to see. It is very interesting. I think the Titanic is so fascinating to so many people because it affected a lot of poor and immigrant families, but it also affected a lot of wealthy and powerful people, which doesn't seem to happen a lot. Thinking about all those people in their tuxes and their gowns all ready to, you know, party and drink, and they just froze to death. And all the expensive and lavish items that are now just at the bottom of the ocean. There's a real juxtaposition to the whole thing that just naturally fascinates us, um, especially those of us who aren't wealthy. It's kind of just this otherworldly thing, especially because it happened so far in the past that we kind of tend to romanticize the whole thing. But as always, I want to know what you guys think about this. Are these two conspiracies just absolutely crazy and far-fetched. Do you think that I'm an idiot for even entertaining the thought that these ships could have been switched? Or do you think there might be some truth to this? I really want to hear what you guys think. As always, you can find the show on Facebook and Instagram at Weird on the Rocks Podcast, Twitter at Weird underscore Rocks, and the website weirdontherocks.weebly.com. Come and chat with me and let me know what you guys think. And as always, thank you so much for hanging out with me tonight. I appreciate every single one of you that takes time out of your busy life to spend with me and listen to me talk about all this weird stuff. I'm having such a good time with this and I'm glad you guys are enjoying it too. And until next time. Cheers and stay weird.
That was a Titan Cast episode.